As we've been going through worship, we've been thinking about what it means to hear God speak. And I really pray that you will hear God speak through his word today, that there will be a message for you. And uh, as I have been just thinking about what is on my heart, what is the, the message for today, one of the, uh, one of the things that came up was that we're moving to you know, the next academic year. In many ways, you know, it's the next, the next 12 months. People are looking ahead for their life, and some people are planning further ahead for their life. And what's it like to do that in a way that honors God? So my title today is A Psalm That Will Change Your Life. In a minute, I have a handout, but I want to give a little bit of background, and then you're going to get a handout. So I'm so encouraged by this psalm. It's one that really excites me. But to start with, when I read it, I found it very negative and discouraging. I had a lot of problems with it. Uh, so a little bit of background. Bible scholars are increasingly believing that the book of Psalms is not just a collection of Psalms that are put together, uh, just in no particular order, but they're actually arranged very carefully under God's plan in an order that tells a story. And so the first two Psalms like set the, set the stage for the book, and then they go through various phases, and right at the end, the psalm ends with a series of, of praise psalms, and the last one is like a, a praise multiplied. And so the whole book is telling a story. And uh, the quite a number of psalms are what's called laments. They're, the psalm is crying out to God, I'm just in trouble, things are hard, and sometimes some complaints. Some of them are darker than others. And some of these laments are very, very dark. And they, they uh, seem to get darker and darker until Psalm 88 and 89 are the darkest in the whole of the book. Um, but then Psalm 90 comes along. And it's like Psalm 90 provides an answer to all of the darkness because it starts off with the darkness and then it moves into a new place. So it represents a key point in the book. The book of Psalms is divided into into five books. You may have noticed that in your Bible, book one through to book five. And it's the first three books which are have got most of the darkness in them, and then, then the, the the end in Psalm eighty eight and eighty nine, and then the fourth book ends with sorry, begins with Psalm ninety. And so that gives us a little bit of a context of where the psalm fits into the story. And after Psalm 90, there are very few places where there's darkness, and it's not nearly as deep as it was earlier. So the first thing I'm going to do is just to start to read the psalm, and uh, we're going to just go through, and then I'm going to give you a handout, and we'll look at how I believe the psalm works. Psalm 90 Verses 1 and 2 start with, and it begins, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Now, that title there is probably in the original. That's not one that your Bible translators have put in. Um, that's probably there. That's in the Hebrew. So it probably was written by Moses. Lord, you have been our dwelling place through generation to generation. Before the mountains were born or you had formed the earth, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. That's, 
So far, so good. No problems. That sounds positive and encouraging. In fact, there's a hymn that's written based on this part of the psalm. You may have heard of it. Oh God, I help in ages past. I hope for years to come. Our shelter from the stormy blast and our eternal home. Isaac Watts was an interesting man. He's the first person that we know of by name to write worship music. Back in his day, the church only sang psalms. Nothing else apart from psalms. There was no tradition of singing anything else. They didn't have anything else apart from psalms. And Isaac Watts was a visionary. And he wanted to move beyond psalms. In fact, he had this idea, well, a lot of the psalms are speaking about Jesus. Why don't we actually sing them with the name Jesus in them, since that's who they're talking about? Which, of course, is absolutely true. And then he pointed out, one of the psalms says, sing to the Lord a new song. So why don't we sing new songs? But he had to be careful doing this. So what he decided to do was to actually begin just by rewriting psalms in a modern format. Well, modern in the 1600s. And so he began to do this. This is one of his... uh, Version one of his psalms, he wrote huge numbers and absolutely transformed music. He was successful. He completely changed the face of worship music. I know a bit about him because I went to the same high school as he did. Not at the same time, but um, <laughs> he came from my city and uh, kind of he's a local hero. And uh, but anyway, uh, but notice even he only wrote a hymn about the first bit of Psalm ninety because. You wouldn't want to write a modern worship song about some of the stuff we get into next. You turn back, you turn man back to the dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your eyes is like yesterday that went by or like a watch period in the night. You sweep them away to death's sleep. They're like the new grass grown up in the morning. Hmm, Not so encouraging. You know, we, God's time is like a thousand years to him, uh, is just like nothing. And we, we appear and we're gone. Time is so short for us. In the morning, it's fresh and grows up. By the evening, it's withered and dry. So here's a problem. Can an infinite God really care about humanity? Can he really relate to us when our lives are so short and uh, he is so vast and in terms of strength, we're the opposite ends of the spectrum. Do you ever feel like this about God? You think, well, how can I really relate to God? Like the little things that happen to me in my life seem so silly compared with the God of eternity. Does this really even make sense? So verse 7 now begins with we and begins to tell our story. And if you think these first few verses are discouraging, then you want to wait and see what's coming up now. Yes, we are consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we are terrified. You've set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days past pass away under your wrath, we finish our years with a moan. If you want to write a, a, a birthday card for somebody, can I suggest you don't put these verses on it? It's not, particularly not this one. The length of our days is 70 years, or if we have strength, 80, yet their best is but trouble and oppression, for they quickly pass 
and we fly away. Who knows the strength of your anger and your fury is what causes fear. So you can see why, to start with, I was having some trouble with this psalm. It doesn't feel to be that encouraging. What's it about? Like, what do you think? Does, does this, does this encourage you to read this? You think, Andrew, yeah, this is a great psalm to start the year with. Thank you for bringing this to my attention. Um, is verse seven true? Are we consumed by God's anger? Are we terrified by his wrath? Is that actually true? Um, does verse eight define our relationship with God? You've set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. So I think the we here is talking about humanity in general, not believers, as we'll see in a minute. Um, or more specifically, the we is a, hum- is a, is a humanity in rebellion against God. That's who it's describing. Humanity in rebellion against God. Um, and one interesting question to ask is, Moses is writing this. Was this Moses' personal experience of God? Well, no. Moses was the one who could actually see God face to face, who had an intimacy with God that the Old Testament says was unrivaled. He, he could fearlessly tell God, no God, that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. He had the most amazing relationship with God. So what's he talking about? So he did see the generation with him in rebellion against God, and he did see some of these things happen with them. Um, and he did see them, some people consumed by God's anger. Um, Moses, actually his face shone at one point from being in God's presence. Um, in Exodus 33.11, it says, The Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And then Deuteronomy 34.10 And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. So what is this about then? Although we knew he did sin, he wasn't perfect, he wasn't defined in verse 8 by his sins. So this experience doesn't represent, this psalm doesn't represent Moses' experience. Uh, Right at the end there, uh, verse 9 that verse, uh, it says, we finish our years with a moan. Your translation might use a different word, but literally that's what it is. It's moan. It's a whimper. It's like, it's, it's a very negative thing. So what's the answer? What is it then about this psalm that makes me so excited and so encouraged by it that I want to preach on it today? Um, well, let's move on. Things begin to change. Teach us to count our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, O Lord, how long, and have compassion on your servants. Okay, now's the time I want my assistants to hand out the the handout of Psalm 90, which hopefully is going to, we're going to base the rest of the sermon around. Hopefully, we're going to see some really good answers on this from the scriptures. Now, as we look at it, as you look at it, you get it in front of you, I want you to notice some words that are in red on it. And uh, if you look at the words that are in red, you'll see, well, can somebody tell me what's the theme of the words that are in red? Any theme there? Time. Yeah, time. And you'll see that um, the first section up to verse 6 
is all about um, God's time compared with our time. Can you see that? So God's time, thousand years. Apologize to people who haven't got it yet. You're deceiving it just now and you'll be able to see. God's time versus our time. And we'll see that, um, you know, there's this contrast. And then you can see uh, in verse 9 and 10, there's time references. In 12, there's time. And then 15, there's time. So there are a lot of time references I put there in red. Um, and the contrast in the first section there is very negative between God's time and our time because they're so different. But this central statement here is about time. In verse 12, it says, Teach us to count our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now, can I ask you not to look at the blue column on the on the right right now? Because I want you to start looking at the text, and the answers are in the blue column. Okay, so you can look at them in a minute, but don't look at them right now. Um, so I want you to look at verse eleven. What what emotion comes out of that verse for you? What emotion comes out? Fear, anger, fury, some very powerful negative emotions. Now contrast that with verse 13. Look at the emotion there. It's compassion. It's, it's the answer to the anger that's earlier. Now, um, I want to just give you a little bit of background. In, in ancient times, there were ways of structuring writing, which are ways that we don't often use today, but were very common in ancient times. And the technical word for this is a chiasm. And the, what it means is you start off with a statement and then you have a second statement, we'll call it B, and then the next statement C, and then D. And then you have a, some kind of central statement which changes everything, which turns it all upside down. And then you work back through them in the reverse order, D, C, B, A, with the impact that the central statement has made on the, the story that's happening. This was very common. It's actually quite common in the Psalms. And you can see it in the New Testament as well. You can see it all over the scriptures. And what's useful about it is it helps you understand the point of the Psalm. Because the point often is right at the beginning, the initial statement, right at the end, the answer to the initial statement, and right in the middle, or sometimes just past the middle, the thing that has happened. And we're going to see that this is a beautiful example a very, very beautifully crafted piece of poetry which is reflecting on this problem of the fact that God's days, God's time, God God himself is to such a different category to us. It's reflecting on the problem that's set up in the first six verses and the problem that's actually been the first 89 Psalms of how we relate to this God. So uh, what then we have is this uh, this contrast between the two. So let's now look at verses 9 and 10. Verses 9 and 10, it's talking about our days and our years. What does it say? Can somebody very quickly summarize for me 9 and 10 what it says about our days and years? Short and miserable. And what does it say in verses 14 and 15 about our days? They're glad. That's like, they're glad. They're filled with joy. We sing for joy in our days. So like this is completely the opposite of what's happened from the previous one. And um, 
So compared with a person who's struggling to survive to 70, if they get to 80, it's 10 years of misery. This is days of joy. It's turned upside down. And this, in fact, this whole psalm could be somebody's story when they're saved. And maybe it's your story, or maybe this morning you're only halfway through the story. Maybe you've been experiencing a life which is full of the, tr- the, the trouble and the struggles and the difficulties, and you say, I'm passing my life with a moan. And maybe this is going to be your story in the future. And the key, the key thing that makes the difference is this engagement with God we're going to talk about in a minute. And I want to challenge you that um, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian this morning, I want to challenge you with the opportunity of engaging with God in a way that totally will transform your story. That's right in the middle of this psalm. So, um, the, the good news then is that as we surrender our days to him, he will welcome us into the second half of this psalm. And I'll expand on this a little bit. Um, so, um, why is there a difference between these two? Uh, let me just, actually, I think I'm going to just uh, show this. Do I have this? Yes, there we go. So, <clears throat> who knows the strength of your anger and your fury is what co- fury is what causes fear? Teach us to count our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, O Lord, how long, and have compassion on your servants. So love and compassion, then, is verse 13. What's happened here? Uh, <clears throat> what's the difference that's occurred? In fact, uh, the the word there that's, tra- that's um, translated um, unfailing love, the, actually, that's, let me just get, can you see that in your translation? Unfailing love. Verse 14, the beginning of verse 14 is not on the slide. Satisfy in the morning with your unfailing love. That word is a Hebrew word that in Hebrew it's chesed. And chesed, I think, is the most beautiful word in the whole of the Hebrew language because it means a love that will never let you go. A love that once it has you will hold you for eternity. Sometimes it's translated unfailing love, sometimes loyal love. There are different words, but none of the translations can really grasp hesed because it's a love that will never abandon you. And when God says, I will give you my hesed, what have you got to fear? What could possibly go wrong if the God of eternity has said, I've set my love on you and I will never abandon you. I will be loyal to you forever. And that's the word that is used here in verse 14. So why is there a difference here? What's happening here? It's because of God's compassion on us, which I'll come back to in a minute. So let's look on then to the green verses, which is... um, Psalm is, is verses 16. Verse 16 says, um, actually, I haven't really looked at, let me read verses 9 and 10. I haven't really looked at those. Uh, let's look at verse 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. May Make us glad for as many days as you've afflicted us for as many years as you have seen trouble. And then verse 16, may your deeds be shown to your, your servants and your splendor to their children. So this is very interesting. Can you 
look at how that relates to verse 8 without looking at the right-hand column. Can somebody tell me how verse 16 relates to verse 8? Yeah, exactly. So verse, uh, so we might expect verse 8 to be answered, well, I'm not going to look at your iniquities anymore. I'm not going to look at the bad things you've done anymore. But it's actually much better than that. Not only is he not going to look at those, but he's in fact going to repay us good for evil. He's going to show us good things. Rather than concentrate on what we've done, he's going to show us what he's done for us. It's like you've done something wrong and you're expecting to be punished and the person says, let's not look at what you've done wrong. Let's look at the gift that I'm about to give you. And so it's not just forgiving, but it's replacing the negative with the positive. So this is pure grace. You could almost say this is kind of law in verse 8 versus grace in verse 16. Then um, look at uh, the dark red verse, verse 17. How does that contrast to verse 7? Can someone tell me? Right, so a complete opposite. 7 is God's anger towards us, and 17 is his delight towards us. Now, this is the pinnacle of the psalm, because the, the first part of the psalm has got the idea of us being smashed down. And the question about, you know, how can we have anything? How can we be significant? But here, God is not just not destroying us, but actually making our lives significant. This is not just answering verse 7, but it's answering verses 1 to 6 as well. So if the problem of the psalm is, how can we have any significance? We're gone in such a moment. How can we have any significance? This is the thing that I find so exciting, that so encourages me, that God says, even though I am the God of eternity, and your lives are, are gone in a flash, I'm going to make what you do count for eternity. Do you see that? He says, I'm actually going to take what you do. The things that you do, that you think, you know, how can that possibly count? I am going to make that count for eternity. I'm going to establish that forever. Which answers the kind of futility that's expressed at the beginning. Our lives are not futile. We can do things which will never, ever be forgotten. Because God takes them and establishes them. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? Like, and, and this isn't like the great things, you know, like Isaac Watts, you know, rewriting worship songs. It's actually even little things that you do. You may love somebody. You may care for somebody. You may do something that nobody ever sees. And God says, I saw it. And I am going to make that count forever. That's going to go up on the wall. We've got various signs on the wall around here about great things that sports teams have done. God's going to put the things you've done around on the wall for eternity. And isn't that incredible? That is the answer to the futility that we begin this psalm with. Um, so I find this so encouraging. Um, did, did Moses do anything of significance? You can see Moses' story in this. He's a very broken human. And he's, he starts, are we going to try and do something for God? He's going to kill an Egyptian, and that gets him to all sorts of trouble, and he has to run away from the land, and he's in the wilderness for like years and years, just being a shepherd. But then God says, I'm going to do something with you. God meets with him. God speaks to him and says, I am going to do something with your life. Did God do anything with Moses? Well, 
Yeah, I mean, he got to be the person who wrote more scripture than anyone else. He got to be the person who, who led the nation of Israel, actually brought the old covenant into being. God did something with Moses, even though Moses' life at one point seemed worthless and counted for nothing. So I hope you, you're seeing why I'm excited by this. I hope you're seeing the power of this psalm and how if you really get it, this is going to be transformational. But you're probably asking, well, what is it? What is it in the middle that makes the change? What actually do we have to do? So I want to focus the last part of this message on the question about how we respond to it. To verse 12, which says, teach us to count our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. This is what the last part is about. And this is what the the key to understanding the psalm is about. So I want to summarize this by saying, bring to God what you would like him to establish in your life. Just bring it to him and count it out to him, offer it to him, and allow him to define what you're going to be doing. Allow him. It's a little bit like, um, you know, in time management, you write down a list of things that you have to do. I've got to, you know, one, two, three. And it's about like giving that list to God and saying, God, you show me what my list of things to do should be. You show me where I should be going. And I'm going to give my list to you. I'm going to give all my, all my worries, all my things that I have to do. I'm going to give that to you and allow you to define what's important in my life and how I measure my time. I want you to teach me how to count out my days. I want you to show me what is important in my life and how I should be laying that out. I want to say there's two kinds of lives. There's the life that lives every moment for ourselves and the life that joyfully allows God to define how our days are spent. And whether maybe you have a dream for what you want to do in your life. Maybe you already have some desire. Can you give that to God? and allow him to define it? Can you say, God, I'm giving this dream to you. Could you take it, define what this dream should be? Um, If that's the case, uh, he return, if you really give it to him, he will make it something that counts for eternity. And you can rest in his compassion and his unfailing love. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up now. Um, Maybe you don't know what you're going to be doing. Maybe you don't have a dream. And it's exactly the same. It's saying to God, here's my life, God. Here's, here's everything I have. Could you define what's important? I want to give this to you. I'm going to trust in your unfading love for me. And I want to lay this out for you. You may be planning what you're going to be doing in the next 12 months. And you've got various plans and various things you want to accomplish. Bring that to God and allow God to define what is important in that. Um, when you wake up in the morning, instead of saying, I don't know how I'm going to get through today. Today's going to be a terrible day. I just don't know how I'm going to make it through. You say, I have a God who has unfailing love for me, and I'm going to live this day in the light of his love. I don't know how I'm going to make it through this day. I don't know if you ever have days like that. I don't know, I don't know what, how I'm going to do this, but God, I'm going to let you have all the things I have to do. I'm going to let you take those things and measure them out for me. I'm going to end by reading these verses over us. But before I do that, maybe you aren't 
a follower of Jesus this morning. Maybe you're not a Christian. And this psalm is a call to you as well. Because really the central call is about what it means to be a Christian, is to give your life to God, to surrender all you have and are to God. And then he promises he will take it. He'll, he'll take away everything bad. He won't be angry with you. He'll take away that anger and replace it with a love that makes you into someone that is counts for eternity. So I'm going to end by by um, reading this psalm. In fact, I'd like everybody to stand, and I'm just going to read this as a prayer over us as we um, close this. And uh, if you want to, you can you can lift you you can put your hands out in front of you just to receive the message of this psalm. Uh, it's it's up to you. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfading love that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. May your deeds be shown to your servants and your splendor to their children. May the delight of the Lord our God rest upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. God, we, we surrender our days to you, our hours to you, our minutes to you. Lord, we give it to you. Lord, we ask that you would define what is important in our lives. You would give us wisdom. They would hear your words to us about how we should live. And Lord, we thank you that you tell us you will never let us go. Your, your love is with us for eternity. And even the little things that we do, if we're doing them for you, they will count forever. Lord, thank you for telling us that. Thank you. And I, Lord, we pray that each one of us will re- truly grasp this in our hearts and understand how it works for us today, tomorrow, in this coming week and this coming year. Amen.